Blog Talk Radio. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I'm glad at the revelation that we are the church. We are the people of God, the pillar ground of truth. And not only are we the church, but we study to show ourselves approved under God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, people who rightly divide the word of truth. Welcome to Sunday morning in the Word, <clears throat> where, where we study the word of God systematically, a little more in-depth than other programming um, where we just get concise points, but we, we break down the word for implementation and revelation um, knowledge. And so today we're going to continue on our series, Overcomers Theology. Now, I have to re- uh, we're starting a new section today, so I have to um, do a healthy overview um, and we're going to go through that quickly, and then we're going to introduce the new concept today, begin the introduction of the new concept, and go into the second division of this teaching. Amen? So let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit for his involvement. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made me rejoice and are glad. We thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make bold known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and guide to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought as we make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I say have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Father, and everything that shall be accomplished and be revealed, you be glorified. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we be praised and give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It has been our pursuit in overcomers theology to affirm our pursuit in knowing God more intimately so we can serve him more faithfully, to awaken core values that establishes our convictions and the advantages that we have as a result of establishing God's word as final authority. And we are answering systematically the value of having theology that um, when the need to overcome arises versus um, uh, for advancing in life. And God said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, I'll save. We've said that overcomers theology is a discipline involving the reflection of faith and beliefs in light of the Christian advantage and its importance on establishing our convictions, our commitments, and our character around those reflections. We said that when this occurs, um, it will awaken a theology or a process where we know God, where we learn God or learn the logic behind God. It will answer questions that we have. It will alter and reform the state of our spirituality. It will awaken prophetic awareness, and it will add knowledge and advance us as believers. We also talked about the, the erroneous concepts, though, that surround itself around theology, that theology is not just for people who go to school. <clears throat> uh, people think that it's not necessary to be a Christian, or that it's just merely theoretical. Those are all lies. It is impossible for a person to be a person of faith without having God's logic connected to uh, their development with with life, 
So in that we find out that the revelation of our redemption, the revelation of our righteousness, and also reconciliation with God affirms us to overcome. And we're not saying we shall overcome, but we have overcome. So we've been exploring the ways we uh, that can indicate how we overcome. The first one was overcoming sin, and now we're in the second division, overcoming the world, and then we're going to go uh, to the third division by overcoming my faith. And, of course, uh, we started overcoming sin in Second Peter chapter 2 and also Romans chapter 5. We talked about how overcoming is a spiritual conquest to recover and reform all forms of original nature and intents of God's prayer. And it was embodied in Christ, which also translates our spiritual state of life because the live is Christ. He said that overcoming must be preconceived, a preconceived revelation birthed out of access to uh, through more time with God. And as we study God's word and we develop more time with him, we will, uh, we will advance uh, in this nature of life because of the finished work of Christ. And the finished work is, is simply this. Christ achieved victory on the cross. And as a result of that one act of victory, we have perpetual blessings forevermore. And we exist in confidence in our God because we have advantages just because of him getting up from the cross. So we thank God for Jesus getting up from the cross. Now, what we talked about in the last three lessons was overcoming sin, that sin separates us from God. Sin is subjected to choices that we make in life and sin sensationalizes perverted reality. Sin seeks secular approval or affirmation, and sin succeeds uh, succeeds by default and defect. And the enemy has mastered that. We talk, we answer pivotal questions of how it, it you know, how it comes to light through theology. And anybody who's taken a systematic theology course will know that one of the first topics you will talk about after the knowledge and the nature of God is the nature of man and how the nature of man was corrupted through sin. But also what is often missed out is that the nature of man has been restored, glory to God, through sanctification unto holiness through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we also reflect not only on sin, but we also reflect on the righteousness of God, which we have been created unto good works so that we can show forth the kingdom of God and the, the advantage that we have over the world. Now, in, also in that, we concluded uh, what triumphs over sin. First of all, our revelation of who Jesus was. Jesus was the Christ or the anointed one, the one that carried the promise of eternal life in him. And the promise of eternal life in him could only be achieved when we succinctly connected to God because God is all holy God that cannot look on sin, sin cannot dwell in his presence, and dies in his midst. And, there are, um, um, and therefore, even though we are in the flesh, and the flesh is not been uh, completely uh, cured of this, of this cancer of sin, we live in the spirit. The spirit man has been restored to live as Christ. And so we know that the, uh, the cure-all, for sin is Christ Jesus. So what causes us to triumph over sin? Uh, Christ, the confession of our faith, cleansing through forgiveness and connecting with the grace of life and control over the soul. As we as we ask God to 
empower us, to endow us, to enlighten us. We will be blessed. We will be blessed. But we are blessed also even though we do sin because to say we don't sin, we we become a liar. But even though we're saved and we're sinned, God does not see the sin because he has, been, he, has, he has removed it through imputing his grace, glory through the blood of Jesus. And so when we sin, God doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood, glory to God. And when he sees the blood of Jesus, he sees the blood of innocence. Shed our defiance, glory to God. And that act of humility and that selflessness that Jesus achieved at Calvary is amplified in the sight of God so much so that he doesn't see our sin and accepts his love upon us so that we can achieve victory. Glory to God over sin. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute his sin. Romans 4 eight. You also know that if by one man's obedience many were made sinners, by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Romans 5.18-20. So God has empowered us because he uh, created redemption to restore sin. Redemption was the work of, of, of restoration to the right standing with God through Christ. And then he also allowed Christ to be the cure-all for sin, to carry all sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. So the cure-all becomes, and of course, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 said, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. And so that's what we've been really dealing with and expounding on, and we led up to another facet of us uh, uh, pursuing uh, confidence in living a sin-free life in this present world. Because of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live the Christian life, we are prompted to a life of obedience. We see that Jesus, um, if you ever read John 15 through 18, or, or, you know, the entire book of John, but really John 15, 16 to 17, you will really see how the scriptures highlight on Jesus' obedience when it came to the end of his ministry, when it came to uh, the end of his earthly ministry, rather, how, glory to God, how, how, Obedience became his prime directive. Obedience to righteousness, obedience from the heart, and obedience to the teachings in which he possessed. And he committed those things for us to achieve that same commitment to obedience. So in that, we we know that that's what we picked up the last time, that obedience, glory to God, obedience will cause, uh, it's not a, Will will uh, provoke um, will provoke um, well let, let, let's say this will advance us in the scripture it will adapt us to the Holy Spirit and it will assist us into connecting to the divine well why because we are awakened we are awakened we are advanced and we are alerted through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Now, we obey, obey not only from the heart, we obey unto righteousness because we discover the right pathway uh, to govern our lives. The path of righteousness is life, the scripture says in Proverbs twelve twenty eight. Everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him, first John two twenty nine. 
Right? And the theology of righteousness is coined in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. We don't have time to cover that. But we are made the righteousness of God through Christ, First Corinthians one thirty, and And we must be trained in righteousness, First Timothy 3.16. And those those things because we seek to be obeyed, amen. And then not only are are we learning obedience through um, from the heart, from the heart and learning obedience from righteousness, we also are learning obedience through the doctrine of Christ. And the doctrine of Christ is the compliance of the instructions on existence in Christian character, conduct, convictions taught by the Lord Jesus. Simply, I love what he loves, being Jesus. I hate what he hates, and I live like he lives. And that has to be the basic of our advancing. Now, you have to understand that sin was inserted legally, and it became a huge law case in eternity, provoking the judgment of God upon humanity unjustly because of deception from the enemy. And that's what we're going to pick up a little bit today because sin uh, uh, distorts obedience. Obedience is compliance with the authorized orders adaptable to human behavior, and it yields to one's personality to to the explicit instructions or orders from the authority figures given that person. uh, uh, You know, obedience must have certain things in order for it to live. Obedience must be void of options and void of the voice of opinion. Obedience is to resolve to do what you know you have been asked through orders to do, and obedience requires an understanding of various things without assumption. Hindrance to obedience is opinionated assumptions, openness to unauthorized authority, and operating in poor communication. And that's what's happening, and that's what we're going to talk about in Overcoming the World. But sin was legally inserted uh, through satanic source. And so uh, we cannot avoid the, the message of overcoming sin and its nature, glory to God. <clears throat> so uh, if we don't, we, we don't combat it with teaching how we have been, uh, how, first of all, how, we've been over, how we overcome through Christ. Amen? So, Sin, what does sin have to do with the law? Because a lot of times you understand, um, you hear that, you know, but we don't really teach what that is. And that's why I left off last time, how that the law in reference to the scripture is the lifestyle that shapes the standards and practice of a body of people, uh, people and um, do orders that they've been given mentioned in scripture. So we see three laws really happening, and that's the old world order, which was pre uh, pre well it was at, it was at, at, at uh, endemic covenant, the endemic covenant, which was pre mosaic law, which is the second order of laws, which we really emphasize, you know, the Ten Commandments, of course, and all the customs and cultural uh, laws that were inserted by the Levitical priesthood come under the Mosaic law, but our laws have been activated within the heart through the Holy Spirit, and that's called the New Covenant laws. 
Scripture tells us in Hebrews, I will write the laws on their hearts and in their minds, and they will be to me a people, and I will be to them a God, meaning that God will connect with us instinctively and govern us instinctively, providing conviction, clarity, providing control over the soul through Christ as, as we conquer the issues of life through a purified heart. So we still understand that this is a legal thing. Redemption is a legal term to bring, to restore what was originally uh, in the possession of the person who owned it. All right? So the law seeks to shape the manner of lives, the lives that the people are governed. And Jesus Christ became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him so he governs our lives. You can reference 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and Romans 4, 25. So the law is a schoolmaster because no one can satisfy the law prior to Christ. Nobody could. Everybody was messing up. And there were so many laws inserted around and so many cultures and customs around the laws uh, that were so superficial in, in Exodus and Leviticus and and numbers and Deuteronomy that I mean just I mean if you match if you if you mismatch clothes like if you had cotton with uh uh with uh you know if you had cotton with a polyester they would say that was a sin. You know, just you know, it was just all types of things inserted uh that just had nothing to do with ultimately why the law was placed. And the law was placed to reveal what distinguished you ultimately from the, from your source? If you are following the set rules allotted from your source, the law will remind you that you are not in compliance with God. Amen? Or either you are in compliance with God. So it's really to be a mirror that's thrown up in our faces to remind us to depend on God. But if, 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 if we start to live by that, those sources will control us. And this is what brings us into overcoming the world. The, see, something seeks control is what we're talking about. What's, what keeps control over our spirit, our soul, and our body? What governs us? Because part of overcoming through Christ is you knowing that Christ has given you control over your affairs so that you can be devoted to him and his causes instinctively, instinctively, an inward awareness to an inward stability because you have been endowed with his grace, endowed with his spirit, is endowed with his characteristics, the same as Jesus is, so are we. The same characteristics then awakens uh, a, a reality within us to achieve the things of God. Now, part of part of overcoming sin is obedience, and obedience must be from the heart. And that's why we always remind you of these scriptures, that the, a pure heart will see God, Matthew 5, 8. Jeremiah 17, 20 says, the Lord will search the heart and reward according to the state of its existence. Jeremiah 17, 10. Hebrews 4, 12 says that the word of God 
which is discern the intentions of the heart. And then, of course, the Lord gives us the responsibility in Proverbs 4.23 to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. And then in 1 Timothy 5, it gives efforts of the ministry, how it is charged to, to those uh, who have a heart before God and that he expects our heart to establish purity and good conscience and sincere faith. So we have to align ourselves and and uh, and advance ourselves in obedience to the truth of God's word, so that we can abandon alienation from the life of God. Now in Ephesians, let's go there. I was going to go there, but let's go there for a launching pad. Let's go to Ephesians four and then put go. Uh, we'll flip over to First John chapter two. Amen. Glory to God. I think this is a good way to advance in this teaching. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, let's start around Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Those are people that without covenant with God, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding dark, dark and being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to the work of all uncleanliness with greediness, but, be, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard of him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, which is conduct, the old man, which is corrupted according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which is of, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speaking every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be ye angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor with working with his hand the things which is good that he may be able to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying that ye may minister grace unto the hearers. Of course, the scripture says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. And I wanted you to understand that that helps us overcome this sin. Now, and also overcome the world. As we talk about overcoming the world, what are we saying? We're saying this. Overcoming, overcoming the world is a revelation of, of number one, sin, uh, knowing that sin is what separates our fellowship with God. But separation from the world is what gives us context and culture of our, uh, to our relationship with God. And when the scripture is referring to the world, it is not speaking of the sphere planet called Earth, but rather the system 
that was established outside of the influence and the authority of God. So you're going to hear me talk about systemic authority and uh, a lot of uh, talk about different authorities, all right, that seek to control, seek to control your soul, but ultimately seek to distort and control authority over God. And God never intended fellowship to be altered from the people he committed his plans, provision, and protection for. Now, the entire uh, gospel of, of John, of the, or, the, of the, or the epistle of John, helps us talk about living a life. Several things, of course, talks about, the, first of all, it opens up with the confession of sin. Then it goes on to loving uh, the love that God has for us that supersedes the world, which we're going to talk about. And then it talks about the devil the spirit of anti-Christ, anything contrary to, to what has been empowered through the Holy Spirit, and then it resolves into purity and practices of righteousness and, and loving deed and truth and testing spirits to see whether they are of God. And all of this can be done through our love, and, our love for Christ and victory over the world and assurance of salvation and, 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 and also freedom from habitual sin. So so overcoming sin is the starting point to overcoming the world. So if you can't overcome sin, you can't overcome the world. And see, you have to develop confidence in God's redemptive plan and restorative means to connect you to him so that your life can go beyond the sins that you committed. Amen? And that's just not something you can do religiously. Now, in the second, first job, we're going to read a couple of verses, 9 through 17. Then we're going to give some commentary on that, and then we're going to go into uh, begin our part of overcoming the world. All right? I'm going to read in the second chapter of First John. <laughs> And let's start actually at verse 7. And this is good. Brother, I write, on, uh, I, write no, I write no new commandments unto you, but an old commandment, which is a law, which is from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you which thing is true in him and in, and in you. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Ain't that beautiful? Well, glory to God. It's a promise that we must know. And there's a power and a potential behind the Lord's namesake. But I write unto you, 
fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning, you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one, I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto the fathers, because ye have known him that is written unto you, young men, uh, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. See, this is this is the law that he's talking about. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not it is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Lord or will of God abideth forever. As little children, or little children, it is the last time, as ye have heard, that the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists where we were, where we know. That there is in the last time. They went out from us because if they were not of us, but they were not of us, for if they would have, for if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all, not were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, which ye know all things. And I have not written you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. All right? And it goes on and it continues. But here, it establishes a foundation before really distinguishing the power of the world and the power of God. Now, the entire chapter is a commentary on the effect of God's authority called love at work in them who he committed his life to. The confidence uh, um, is highlighted, and the emphasis is of freedom over sin. And he, and he continues the whole book over this in, in the epistle of John. So John is matured at this point, saying that, hey, this, 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 this love life, is not just a religious terminology, not just an expression of emotion to be kind, but it is a legal term to eradicate sin. He writes to admonish us in verses 1 through 6 to keep ourselves from sin. Separation from sin signifies that we are one with God, we walk as he wants, and we are authorized which which means he loves us, and he brings us to maturity. 7 through 11, the cause separation and freedom from sin, complex and light, which means enlightenment. And the light considers and embodies his example as a code of ethics for others willing um, um, to willingly look upon our standards, and if it can be done, it, it is because we have not fully embodied that standard. So what God does is says, ye are the light of the world. Why? Because the love of God dwells in you. 
You know what I'm saying? Ye are the salt and light of the world. What does that mean? God's law, God's order, right? Law means order. God's law is revealed by his love, what he authorizes us to move out in. If I loved you, you love you love whom I said, right? And that love gives light, which serves which as a standard, how God shows everything. He said he don't work in darkness because when you're in darkness, you're blind to what you should see. But if we walk in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship, one with each other. Do you know what I'm saying? So, in seven and twelve through fourteen, the standard effect of uh, uh, enlightenment is what what God is commitment that He made to each generation, and they are being challenged to reflect the nature of God, so that there are clear indications of of their willingness to connect with God, and clear on uh, uh, fifteen to nineteen. Clear depictions of that connection, the separation is uh, is a separation that takes place. A separation from lust of the flesh and the eye and pride. But not only that, separation from those who form uh, the consciousness. And see, Antichrist is just like the anointing empowers us through the spirit of God to embody God's grace. God's favor, God's power. You know what I'm saying? Antichrist is 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 the same effect as the anointing powers through wickedness and darkness and disobedience and defilement of uh, that which don't belong to Christ. And generally, they make it known to their behavior when light is exposed. They the opposition of their connection with God, which brings us to our lesson for today. Amen. There, there are two two other points that I want to clear up. One, that we overcome the world by reminding ourselves of what what God has achieved in us through sin. But also, we need to understand that we are separated uh, that that overcoming the world is based on the system that is separating us from sovereign authority. Everything that keeps you from from being operating in God's love is based on darkness. What he does is try to commit your sight to seeing nothing. So two two things that we have to emphasize. We have to understand Stand the separations of a power uh, or separation of a sovereign authority. And then we also have to see Satan as the source of world corruption. All right? And let's and let's let's um let's hurry and, and finish that. Remember I told you that obedience obedience unlocks the route to overcoming, right? And disobedience locks us into not overcoming. But in that also, that disobedience also disregards the authority of God. 
And, of course, I told you that the authority of God is real and manifested through his love. When God says he loves you and that he gives his son because he loves you, what he's saying is he's authorizing you to get correct and get cleaned up and to get cleansed from sin because of his work, because of Jesus Christ, right? Now, God's love releases the light that cancels the effect of sin, and God's love is not only what inspires us to be motivated to overcome sin, but it authorizes us to eradicate sin. God's love is a direct reflection of his nature, fulfilling His pur- the purposes of his heart, and God's love is what prompted Christ to serve as a propitiation for sin. So, so God's love is what pushes us and what push, pushes the Holy Spirit to empower us and enlighten us to have advantages over the world. And that's what we just read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 17, which admonishes us to love not the world. Love not the world because there is a source of the world that is anti-Christ, anti or against the standard which Christ has caused us to exist in. And we need to understand that Satan is the source of that. Satan is the source of world corruption. Let me tell you, today, because of perverted society and because of, of insertion of secular concepts, we have eradicated them being a devil or Satan. But the Bible tells us that Satan exists, and, and, and that's what we need to talk about today. Let's, let me give you five things about Satan. Satan is the source of world corruption and is empowered through disobedience and iniquity. Satan always seeks control. In, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. First Peter, Satan. Satan seeks whom he may devour. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 14, 4, and 1 John 5, 19, Satan is the God of this world. And then in Luke 8, 12, Satan attempts to take away the word of God from people's hearts. And then lastly, Satan is defeated, according to Romans 16, 20, and Revelations nineteen twelve. So Second Corinthians eleven, Second Corinthians chapter four, First Peter, Luke eighteen, Romans sixteen, and Revelations twelve. They talk about Satan, and of course you can find about eighty or almost eighty or ninety more passages that deal with Satan. Okay, Satan exists, and we as the church need to understand that he exists and that we have authority over him. Ultimately, he is defeated because our standing with Christ and Christ being in us and we living like Christ and we allowing the light of Christ to shine brightly in our hearts and in our behaviors, then we also understand we have power over the devil. But the devil has to exist in order for us to have power over the devil. And you can't, you can't get confused today and make it seem like there's no devil because there is. There's evil. And the God of this world is blinded their mind, lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine on them. So part of us overcoming uh, the world is really overcoming the source of the world. 
and also overcoming sin. So overcoming sin and overcoming the source of the world enables us, glory to God, enables us to achieve victory over the world. Amen? Amen. We're out of time. There's more on this concept and this content, and we're going to continue from the next teaching. But remember, the the the, the sub point is for today was separating from sovereign authority. The sovereign authority that God gives us is His love. And we don't want to mistake Him. God's reality of love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, or Satan himself. We want to be above because we've overcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, as we've opened up this dialogue, we will learn more about what all is going on. But in spite of what all is going on, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the victory to overcome the world. For that alone, we praise you and give you honor and glory for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. I trust that whatever you set your hands to do, you will do, because greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you repeat after me? I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that God raised Jesus from the dead. I thank God for the work that he did for me at Calvary. Amen. Find yourself a Bible-believing teaching church study to show yourself approved unto God. And then we also pray that the Holy Spirit, will, which enables you to live the Christian life, giving you a, a whole new language, confirming that life with signs and wonders, that you would be sealed with that spirit of promise and receive the fullness of the Spirit so that you can walk out your life in confidence, walking by faith and not by sight. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the this Sunday morning in the word, O oh Lord, today we know that God's power will perform great exploits and wonders from above that we, we are eagerly awaiting to see. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Bye-bye.